0: You
1: ain't
0: heard nothing yet. To get around that little bitch. What am I going to do? For? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make it, an offer. Are you talking to me? No. Are you not I don't know who you are. Why oh, so simple? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, yes. I'm better. It's a lion! out of it! Call me Mr. Oh, Boyd. best friend furnish his mother. You have no style. You can park all day, little dog. Just Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. I spent mine dodging COVID again because all of my coworkers seem to be getting COVID. Did avoid it, though. Had some crazy allergies. Thought I had COVID, didn't have COVID. But, you know, that's been the world for the last four years, hasn't it? But yeah, what else? I watched a bunch of sports ball. I hung out with friends, played board games, played video games. Uh, I'm watching football in the background. So I've got my script up open on my laptop and I've got the game playing in a tiny little corner because it's football times. And I got a late start because my team that I follow, the 49ers, are playing tonight. And I want to make a chili recipe I saw on the internet's like a damn Gen -er. So I'm making chili, watching football, and recording this. So I'm a multitasking fiend right now. But if there's any crazy uh, audio quality shifts that I couldn't fix, it's because I had to go stir the chili. But yeah, that's that's what's been up with me. Uh, This week on Movie Theater Movie Reviews, we've got Mean Girls, ISS, and Queen Rock Montreal. So first off with Mean Girls, I don't know what's going on with the marketing execs in Hollywood right now. But for some reason, they won't market musicals as musicals because they're afraid it's going to alienate people. But then the problem is, is you get them in the theater and they're pissed and they give the film bad reviews because they got hoodwinked into seeing a musical. It's fine, guys. People who like musicals, they will go see your shit as someone who is loosely in that community of loving the musicals and, you know, being in entertainment, being like a fringe of that whole scene they come out for this kind of stuff. Just don't lie to people. Like, I don't, I don't get that. But yeah, because there's like, what? There's at least two other films right now on the market that did that. There was Wonka, which apparently is a full-on musical. I I haven't seen it yet. And then also The Color Purple is also a musical, the new one that came out. But yeah, that's my rant about that. But like Color not Color Purple, Mean Girls, actually, I liked it. I was of the generation who the original, the 2004 Mean Girls was for. That movie came out the summer before I entered high school, not to totally date myself. And that was 20 years ago, which just makes me nauseous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because, But. But, you know, it's good. It's not as like they weren't really mean. They were just kind of bitchy to each other. That would be my like whole thing. Like they definitely cared too much about feelings. I'm like, the movie is called Mean Girls. You're just being a little bitchy towards each other. So I would have liked it to be a little bit more, you know, sharp. But I did like it better than the musical. Also, the lead girl couldn't really sing, but she tried. She did her best, but it was when you put her next to Renee Rapp it's there's going to be a, a a noticeable shift in a uh, vocal quality but yeah it's a good fun time i enjoyed it but it's it's for me i'm one of the demographics that movie was made for Then I saw ISS, which is a nice little indie space movie, just to completely downplay the nuance in it. And it's about um, the crew of of the International Space Station. And the crew is half American, half Russian. And they're kind of put at odds with each other when their countries declare war on the ground. There's clearly like some kind of nuclear fallout situation. They're told to take control of the ISS. And it's sort of like where does your loyalty lie to your you know your fellow scientists in the air or your countrymen on the ground it's a very it's a decent thriller this movie is one of actually very few where I feel like it could have benefited from being just a little bit longer I was wanting a little bit more of a development of the relationships between the crewmen so it felt like there were higher stakes other than just like you know like nationalism or something like I just would have liked a little bit more like I think this movie is about 90 minutes long it would have been fun about 10-15 10 15 minutes longer. It's it's got it had very good pacing so you wouldn't have been sitting there going to get to the point. They could they could have done it, but it was definitely cut lean, so it was sellable on the film market. I believe Bleecker Street acquired this at Tribeca last year, don't quote me on that, but I know this was a a film festival purchase, so I was surprised it actually got the release it did. Not surprised given the quality of it, but they just I would have liked a touch more time with the um, with the characters getting developed. There's a couple of issues like obviously they're on wires because they're in space and they weren't actually in space. So there's some rotoscoping errors that I saw. But I'm if you watch it like on TV later on, you're not going to notice that as much. But yeah, overall, not bad. And I'm in a chatty mood today. I'm like fully off my script. And finally, there's a Queen Rock Montreal, which for the moment is only in IMAX theaters this weekend. So if you like Queen, hopefully you're listening to this on Sunday and your Sunday is free because today's, I think, the last day that it's actually in theaters. But I saw it. I loved it. I love Queen. It was great. Uh, you do see a lot of Freddie Mercury's um, uh, uh, royal jewels. Um <laughs> I will say that. That was a little bit shocking, especially because I was at that level in the theater where my eyes naturally were at the level of the Family Jewels. So that was a little awkward towards the end when he put on the, the white shorty shorts. But Jesus. Otherwise, great. I mean, if you had told me if I didn't know anything about Queen and you told me they shot that a week ago, I would have believed you. The 4K restoration was magnificent. Hopefully it comes back or you get to get to run in and see it because it's only an IMAX, I believe. So if you're in L.A., highly, highly recommend the Universal City Walk or the Chinese Theater um, in Hollywood, because those are the only two that are actually full IMAX screens. The other ones are Filmax, as they call it. Also, I saw Night Swim, which exists, but it's uh, one of my uh, day jobs films, so I don't do full uh, reviews on those. But, you know, it's a horror movie that exists and that's a choice that you can make also. So my criterion selection of the week is spine number 711, which is a hard day's night by the Beatles. Coincidentally, I actually didn't watched that in anticipation of the Queen one. But that's how that worked out. I'd never seen it before. I've never seen any of the Beatles films. And I was like, now's the time. So I started obviously with their earliest one. Um, But if you're a Beatles fan, you'll like it. There's a lot of music. They're actually not too bad actors, given like the era that this was in. It was a, It's a fun little time. I think it's only like about 90 minutes, maybe an hour 40. But it was fun. It was it had Beatles music. I was happy. In that regard, it doesn't take a lot to make me happy. So that's that one. And with all of that rambling, let's get on to this week's topic. I'm not even that caffeinated. The second this microphone turned on, it's like I took five shots of espresso. Anyway, this week we look into the next genre, Italian genre film genre. What the hell is going on with my brain that I picked? (laughs) I'm just leaving that in. I'm not even gonna take that out. I feel very natural in front of the microphone today, which is I think I'm finally back in the uh, the swing because the last two weeks I was a little bit like, how do I do this? Three weeks might have been too long, but I definitely needed it. Anyway, we're doing Jalo this week. So that's what's happening this week. Jesus. I just took my Adderall's so little kick in like midway through this episode. I did forget to take the morning one. But yeah, so we're doing giallo. It is the most infamous horror genre to come out of Italy. We're going to talk about like what makes a giallo a giallo, a little bit of the history. You know what's up. This is the third week of this topic. Let's get into it. I'm going to go steer some chili and hopefully come back a little bit more chilled. With that, let's take our places. It's It's showtime. <laughs> So Giallo actually occurred after the Spaghetti Western uh, trend, which we're covering next week. So that was kind of an oops, but I just decided to keep the schedule because I always like to go out on like a bigger episode and spaghetti westerns are far and away probably the most famous Italian genre other than neorealism. Also, as you'll see next week, it's kind of adjacently bleeds into my February topic. So I just decided to keep it as it is, but just kind of be aware of that between the next two weeks that this one comes after spaghetti western. Giallo films get their name from a series of crime mystery pulp novels called Il Giallo Mondadori, and giallo literally means yellow in Italian, and that comes from the trademark yellow cover background of these novels. Publishing for the series began in 1929 and consisted almost exclusively of Italian translations of mystery novels by British and American writers. A lot of them took place in America because that was seen as very exotic to the Italians. And they really, really liked stories about like the Americans or like the British and stuff like that. And even like stories that were told or were written rather by Italian authors were often... Given American-sounding names, so Italians would actually buy them. This was a trend that la- that was way more prominent than I realized when I when I talked about Peplum films last week. These stories originated from the European tradition of fuletto, which were sections of newspapers and magazines that existed for the sole purpose of entertaining readers. So it wasn't just it wasn't just the news; it was also something a little bit fun and entertaining as well within the newspaper. These sections often consisted of novels that were released in increments, so you get like a chapter a week or a chapter a day or whatever it ended up being, or a month, or you know. The Italian newspapers were heavily influenced by the French papers doing this, and the Italian stories were often mired in romance, murder, mystery, intrigue, and the like, and kept readers coming back for more. This was especially successful in the Italian paper La Domenica del Corriere, and this paper introduced the Italians to Sherlock Holmes, amongst many, many others, eventually leading to an influx of crime novels being published on their own. The popularity in this genre grew as the decades went on. There's a whole history within there, but that's pretty much all we need to know for the sake of this episode. Eventually, the success of the giallo novels began attracting the attention of other Italian publishing houses who quickly published their own versions and copied the yellow covers. There was also green novels, there was blue novels, there was black novels, and they all were a little bit slightly different in genre and stuff. But it was so like the Italians could like walk into a store and just go, what color do I want? I want one of those ones. It was kind of like that mindset. From this trend, the word giallo became synonymous in Italy for a mystery novel. So with that in mind, what is a giallo film? A giallo is a stylish and violent crime thriller at its most base. The films are known for their gore, disturbing visuals, and can be considered a predecessor of the Hollywood slasher films of the 1980s. Also, the crime and mystery murder plot elements found across this genre keep gialli, the plural word for giallo, grounded in the whodunits of the thriller genre from whence they descended. Giallos are often called Italian slashers, however, rather than Italian crime thrillers, which they more closely resemble. But not all giallo films are slasher, though arguably the best ones are. It's a whole thing. We'll get into it. There is some nuance in this genre and there is some disagreement over actually what makes a giallo a jalo. It's been really fun reading all these articles and book things. And while there are some overarching similarities betwixt most of them, the actual criteria to be considered a part of this genre is not set in stone. Instead, a giallo film is more determined more by the feeling or vibe the film gives off in addition to having some of the other qualities. This also means that there are Italian horror films from this era that are not considered giallo. It it gets a little confusing and many people have opinions and there's a fair amount of disagreement, but I did my best to make this as cohesive as possible. It's one of those things people, you know, get very passionate and nerdy about stuff. Totally get it. But it does cause a little bit of confusion. It truthfully did break my brain a little bit this week as I did not know a lot about giallo beforehand. And some movies that I uh, myself thought were giallo films were not giallo films. I thought Cannibal Holocaust was a giallo. It is not. It is very much not. Anyway, the baseline plot for giallo films is that, while they're kind of scary or spooky or ominous, they almost always revolve around mystery stories, namely who or whom is doing all these pesky murders, The protagonists are often everyday people thrust into doing amateur detective work rather than the actual professionals who would traditionally do that job. What makes it a giallo film versus a thriller or crime film is that there tends to be quite a bit of gore. Not all films like this are giallo films, however, and despite the fact that they have horror elements, gialli are not traditionally considered horror films, which I did not know. They are merely a step toward horror films, they're horror-coded, as the kids would say, but truthfully, they exist somewhere between crime and horror. Despite this, they are typically grouped in with horror, and that's why I described it as a horror genre, because that is technically where you'll find these films. Like, say, if you were going back in time and going to a video store, that's where you'd find giallo films, despite the fact that they're not really scary in the traditional sense. The victims of a giallo film, more often than not, are beautiful women. The genre also tends to focus on beauty and sexuality, hand in hand with the murder and carnage, as like some sick superimposition. Stylistically, Jello films often either have POV shots of the killer and or the murderers tend to wear black gloves quite a bit. Both, of course, are ways to hide the identity of the killer. There is also a lot of stylistic lighting and camera angles, and they also tend to be quite colorful for a horror film. Again, not a horror film, but, you know, definitely not the color pellets you would associate with a, like, a, even, even a crime drama. They tend to be a little bit more muted. These don't tend to be. Oh, and the music and the sound effects, you'll notice as you go through these films. The music doesn't always really fit the vibe of what you would traditionally consider, like, a horror movie vibe or a crime thriller vibe. It's very... It's weird. Like, you heard a little bit of it at the at that first break. That's where that music was from. It's from Dario Genta's opera. It's spooky, but it's, like, also not spooky. But it's also, like, what is happening, and that is very shallow, as I learned this week. An important omission in this genre is that strict giallo films have no supernatural elements. There may be the appearance to the contrary throughout the film, but at the end, it is always revealed that a human villain is behind all of this murder and mayhem. It's got the same rules as the Scooby-Doo episode, basically. They're like, Mr. Wilkins or whatever. It's, It's that kind of rule. There are disagreements about this, however, because, and I think mainly it's this, because that would mean that one of the most famously listed giallo. Dario Argento's Suspiria would technically not be a giallo because it's got supernatural elements, despite the fact that it fits every single other criteria of a giallo film. But like I said, there's no real rules, so why start being strict there? Also, like Sword and Sandal films, giallo films have a bunch of different kinds of titles. Like, it's a little crazy. And if you're in the States, it's going to be way easier to find these films kind of, like, dubbed poorly, so enjoy that. It's a time. (laughs) It's, it's a time Getting down to it When it comes to what a giallo film is To quote Italian film historian And screenwriter director Of several giallo films Ernest Gestaldi Quote Giallo is not a detective story It is not a thriller Not a suspense movie Not a horror film But it can be any one of those things Rolled into one What sets a giallo apart From any other story? Two things A difficult to explain event And its rigorously logical explanation Based on the evidence And details provided in the story The event is almost always a murder End quote. "So in submission it's a very wide net and honestly the more you watch the harder it actually gets to classify as a genre but there you have it" In the 1960s, Italian cinema was reaching a global audience as more and more well-known American TV and film actors were participating in the spaghetti western genre. Again, oops. That movement, spoiler alert, was made popular by Italian filmmakers like Sergio Leone and Sergio Corbucci. Amidst this success, the thriving Italian film industry began branching out into other genres, eventually adapting those popular yellow paperbacks into films and ultimately creating the giallo genre as well as a result. Yellow films, despite this, do not resemble the contents of those books, however. They were a baseline from which the filmmakers started. The movies tend to be way more psychologically unhinged. Fun fact, actually, going back to like them all being based on novels, some of them, like 1971's The Fifth Chord, for example, would falsely claim that it was based on a novel to give it an air of legitimacy. They just put a fake novel and the internet didn't exist, so it was harder to fact check that it was a book or not. But yeah, that's the- <laughs> film marketing's always been shifty. So, the pulp novels on which these were based, of course, were rooted in the writings of like Edgar Allan Poe, Agatha Christie, all of them. The cinematic roots of Giallo can be traced back to a film we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Ascensione from 1943, as the film was the first to be a Giallo novel adaptation. It was an unauthorized one, but it was World War II in Italy. There was more important shit going on than copyright claims. There are also some silent films and early 1930s films that do bear a resemblance as well to Giallo, but they're mostly lost to time or I couldn't really find any. So there's there's a couple of things. But Assezione was like the big the big beacon of, of the beginning of this. Ossesione was inspired by the works of Alfred Hitchcock, who, of course, by this point was churning out masterfully suspenseful films. And when this genre began earning traction, Hitchcock films were arguably at their peak. Jello started in like the 1970s, early 1970s hardcore. And that was like 10 years after Psycho and The Birds. And, you know, by that point, Hitchcock was like Hitchcock as most of us know him, you know, obviously before I did those episodes a few months ago. Early giallo films were also influenced by the German Krimi, short for the German word for criminal films, of the early 1960s. Produced by German-Danish studio Rialto, these black-and-white crime movies were based on Edgar Wallace novels and stories, and typically featured mystery plots with a masked killer. The 39 Wallace films would showcase several key components of the giallo movement, though it lacked the general style that those films would typically become known for. Giallo films also took inspiration from splatter films, which was a term coined later by George Romero, which were popular this time mostly for the exploitative violent acts that made it on screen in regards to mutilation of the human body. These were typically B films, but they had a very strong cult following. Some other influences to lesser degrees, film noir, especially the more stylistic giallo films and the lighting was very indicative of some of the giallo stuff that happened later. And also the sexploitation films of the 1960s, which were big on nudity and softcore sex scenes. These films lessened the taboo of nudity on the big screen, leading to what people got away with in giallo films. By this point, violence on the big screen was not unheard of, and there were films that featured mentally disturbed individuals and on-screen murders and violence and sexy times so there was a foothold to expand upon all of this and put it all into one genre so italy took all of those and did something they became very good at which was taking something popular and putting their own spin on it you'll see that next week with the spaghetti westerns for example but also the peplum films were kind of that way giallo was also that way i think spaghetti westerns is like the apex of that though And of course, this started with just adapting the Giallo books, but the Italian filmmakers used emerging film technologies to add elements of suspense and the psychological stuff to really just toy with their audiences. As far as when it started, most critics and historians agree that the first, like, at least proto-Giallo film was Mario Bava's The Girl Who Knew Too Much from 1963, which was named after the 1934 and 1956 Hitchcock movies The Man Who Knew Too Much. It's very Hitchcock-coded, and it's, it's definitely not full Giallo, but it definitely laid the groundwork, and Bava would actually become a pretty huge name in the Giallo genre. Bava followed The Girl Who Knew Too Much with 1964's Blood and Black Lace. It further introduced a number of elements that became standard for giallo, namely a masked stalker with a shiny weapon in his black gloves who brutally murdered a series of glamorous fashion models. Yes, they were female. Several similar films followed in the sex and violence vein, but the giallo genre itself would not become popular with Italian audiences and it wouldn't be considered fully matured until film critic-turned-director Dario Argento shot and released The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in 1970, which was actually influenced heavily by Blood and Black Lace. The film was a box office smash and was widely imitated as a result. Argento alone would make three more giallo films in the next five years, cementing the genre in the public consciousness. This film was the absolute baseline for all further giallo films. After four successful gialli, Argento directed the kind of giallo, kind of not Suspiria. The film was marketed as a quote-unquote supernatural giallo as dark magic plays a major role in the film. Suspiria would become a part of Argento's Three Mothers trilogy, which includes Inferno from 1980 and Mother of Tears from 2007. Technically, none of these are strictly giallo films, but they definitely have a lot of the elements. It's kind of like how nitpicky would you like to be about it? His film Deep Red also from 1975 is also often regarded as one of the best giallos ever made and comes with a uh, deeply disturbing puppet for good measure. So enjoy that one. The Italian film industry, while booming, was still pretty small, and directors would constantly try to one-up each other, leading to greater body counts and becoming more creative with those murder scenes while showing more explicit sexuality. These films were churned out very quickly because they were very cheap, so things got pretty crazy pretty quickly. This also, of course, was some groundwork for the violent deaths of the 1980s Hollywood slasher films. Producers would try to maximize profits by capitalizing on the tastes of different audiences as well. For example, Swedish audiences didn't mind sex scenes but weren't a big fan of violence. American audiences liked the violence, but sex stuff, the audacity. This led to several versions of the same movie getting made. Basically, they, you know, same basic plot, just like the Swedes would get like a hornier, less violent movie and the American market, say, would get a more violent, less horny movie. And then Italy, they just released it as is. (laughs) So that kind of led to all these different versions and all these different films had different names, despite the fact that they were the same film. It was just, it was all like, you know, marketing strategy and just trying to maximize profits because it's cheaper to recall. Cut a film than to shoot a completely separate film. Now, of course, when home video became a thing in the late 1970s, producers and you know whoever was in charge of these movies had to basically pick one version of each film. So they either selected one cut over another or edited several cuts together into basically one master film. Since they were slightly different, there'd be different names. It's very confusing. Letterboxd is very good about putting all that together. So is IMDb. You know, if you if you find one and you find another, just check and make sure they're not the same film if they look similar. The biggest year for the Giallo film was 1972 when over 30 Giallo films were made just in that calendar year or released, I should say. And they were obviously, very obviously made on the back of Argento's Crystal Plumage. But the trend waned away pretty quickly than that. Like it literally started in 1970. Peak 72 immediately started, fading cuz there's only so many ways you can rip a body to pieces all in like how many times can you really watch that in a year by the time Suspiria came out in 1977 giallo films were becoming more expensive to make as they became more and more explicitly violent and bloody and before too long lesser filmmakers had just simply eliminated the mystery element from their giallo films or giallo-looking films and the complex plots featured in them were also gone just to make more time for the gore and the sexy for better or for worse, <laughs> this led to the next evolution of this genre, or de-evolution, depending on how you look at it. The slasher movie. I'm not shitting on slasher movies. Everything has and deserves its place. And I actually love slasher movies very much. But there is a degradation in nuance, for the most part, between Giallo and, like, Friday the 13th. There's, it, They're different. They look the same in places, but they're different. So like a slasher movie like the Friday the 13th and Halloween films are basically just strings of murders and sex scenes especially the first Friday the 13th. Not so much Halloween definitely Friday the 13th. We the audience typically know who the killer is throughout the film at the very least we see them. In fact Friday the 13th famously a cash grab off the back of Halloween borrows two of its murder scenes from the first two films and a decent chunk of the plot of the first Friday the 13th from the 1971 Giallo A Bay of Blood. From what I've been told the middle 40 minutes of the first Friday the 13th are like a direct ripoff of Bay of Blood. So that was disappointing. That's on my list for this week. Still haven't seen The Peplum I either. It's been a I've seen a lot of movies, but I didn't like see a lot of movies at home, which is unusual for me. I'm behind. I'm way behind, but I'm always behind. So yeah, anyway, these two films, Halloween and Friday the 13th, get a lot of credit for starting the slasher trend, but a lot of what is on screen was around a decade plus earlier over in Italy. They're they're very, very, very similar. Ironically, as giallo was burning out in Italy when Halloween came out, its popularity actually caused a renewal in interest of the giallos, which led to a very smaller secondary boom of the giallo films that lasted into the 1990s. Nowhere near as many were made in that time, as there had been in the 70s, but it was something. Later giallo films from this include Lucio Fulci's Murder Rock from 1984 and Argento's Opera from 1998, which resemble slasher movies slightly more than traditional giallo films did, but are still technically giallo. Because Xiaoli were considered cheap and quote unquote disposable entertainment back in their heyday, many of these films are hella hard to find in decent condition or resolution. This means that many Xiaoli have been lost over time as well, many due to the changing in home video capabilities. Not all movies have converted from, say, VHS to Blu ray, for example. Something always gets left behind when a new technology uh, takes over. Streaming does help, but it's still, you know, if you're trying to do a rip off of VHS into to, what you know, modern day resolution, it's just not going to look as good, unfortunately. Most of the Giallo movies that have survived are considered the best examples of the genre, however, or they just had very strong cult followings. Many are available in their complete forms on YouTube, though often only with the original Italian dialogue without subtitles. So if you don't speak Italian, you're SOL. It's me. I'm SOL. I know a little bit, but nothing of substance. I know the food words. <laughs> There is a 4K opera version out there that I saw a few months ago at the Alamo Drafthouse. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. For whatever that's worth, I thought it was really good. Um, It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I really liked it. But yeah, if, if you really want to dip your toes, I'd say probably Bava or Argento are your best ways to go just because they were a little bit more with the storytelling. Not Argento's later stuff, but definitely his earlier stuff, like the 70s, like basically up top. There's like, I'm blanking on the 2007, his 2007 movie is probably his last, like, Good, good one. Everything after that's a little wonk, but what are you going to do? All in all, Giallo's influence has had incredibly long legs. In recent years, there have been several homage films to the Giallo genre that, in doing that, can technically be considered Giallo. This includes Amer from 2010, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears from 2013, and most recently Argento's 2022 film Dark Glasses. While each imitate Giallo with their saturated colors, the stylized lighting, and the camera work, and whatever the hell the sound design is supposed to be, they just aren't quite up to snuff with like the heyday of Giallo. And since some of these movies are murder mysteries, they technically aren't giallo anyway. Like Peplum, Giallo was in its prime for like five, six years before fading into the background of film history. But its influence spawned to this day one of the most solid genres as far as recouping money goes, and that's the slasher genre, or horror in general. And a lot of them take elements from Giallo. Horror movies, still a pretty solid theatrical release option. You can make them for cheap, and people like to go be scared in the dark. So if you, if you want to make a movie that you want to make money off of it, your best bet, probably a horror film these days. Giallo, originally inspired in part by Alfred Hitchcock, actually inspired Alfred Hitchcock later on in his career. His film Frenzy borrows Giallo elements. Recently, 2022's Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright, great film, by the way, very heavily inspired by Giallo. That one is very, 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 very obvious. It reminds me a lot of opera. My my final warning as we wrap up this episode today is that giallo is a very specific genre. So if you choose to go down this road and start watching these films, and I highly recommend you do, but just know they're a little bit less accessible than just picking up a slasher. But once you go down this road, I promise there's a great time to be had in the shadows. Just, you know, in your real life, maybe stay away from that masked gloved man. I can't get in! How do I open the door? I'm Inspector Morosini. I want to know everything you saw and heard. I can't pin it down. There was something wrong with it, something odd. There is a dangerous maniac at large in this city. Do you really love me? Sure. And just before we closed, we saw that painting that was in the window. Did you make the sale? I know. Uh, the poor girl did. Last night, a blonde, 28, lived alone. The press are beginning to put two and two together. They think they see a link between the four murders. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I've got a letterbox account, which features my watch lists, film diary, and recommended viewing for this episode. You can check it out at the link in the show notes. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. I've also got a support page... The link of which you can find in the show notes if you'd like to help out in any way. I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got the buy me a coffee. I had Carl's Jr. coffee this morning because I'm not going to lie. I woke up a little bit hungover and I got hungover over drinking hard seltzers and a glass of wine. So that's where I'm at in my 30s. And I went home and ate bread, still hungover. So I went after I got my chili groceries. I was like, what is near me and has biscuit and the McDonald's line was too long. So Carl's Jr. And it wasn't it's not bad coffee. I was pleasantly surprised. I'd never had it before. But yeah, that that was my my coffee for today. So I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Maybe that's what's making me crazy is the Carl's Jr. coffee. Maybe it has like cocaine in it or something. So I'm, I'm wired and I haven't even drank half of this. Anyway, Jesus, next week, like I've said many times throughout this episode, we are going to take a look at the origins and popularity and facts and figures of the spaghetti Western genre. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, when I'm hopefully a little bit more chill, that's a wrap. Thank mm-hmm. you.